Good morning. My name is Nick Crawford, and uh, I'm the family pastor here at Finder Church. I was in uh, the group's pastor, now I'm the family pastor. Uh, more details of that to come. I'm excited about that. I'm excited about that, but not quite as much as I am excited about this message today. We're in Galatians. We're in Galatians. We're talking about being free. It's, uh, we've been kind of mulling this idea in our heads about uh, that this, this thought that a life turned inward is a life held back. In the Bible, freedom is liberty from bondage, from slavery. And that's exactly what Jesus came to do. He said just as much in Luke 4, 18. Let's read it. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Being free and the gospel, they go hand in hand. It's continuing to believe that message that tends to hold us back. In the first two weeks, Robert, he taught us that there's one gospel and it produces a response from freedom, not from legalism. Last Sunday, Dr. Jimmy Stewart did a marvelous job of applying that freedom of the gospel to children's ministry. He said, hey, if you got kids in the house or not, it doesn't matter. We as a church family have been entrusted with many, and he called you to come together to equip the next generation and shape the next generation for Christ. He asked you to join him. So I'm, I'm going to do this now because Robert gave me the stage. But if you heard the call last week, this week, or ever about serving in kids' ministry, I want to talk to you. Sincerely, I want to talk to you. Our children need to see your passion for Jesus. And today, I hope to show you Jesus' passion for you. This week, we get a call right back to the freedom of the gospel. Paul goes right back to the gospel, and he gets a little salty with us. That, you know, he gets a little salty. He gets in our face. He gets in our face, and he says the way to freedom is to stop. It's to stop trying to complete yourself by adding to the finished work of Jesus. But if you're like me, you look at yourself and be like, man, I got a long way to go. Hey, church, I'm from the Delta. I'm still a little rough around the edges. If you know me, you know that. If you don't know me, ask my wife. She will be glad to tell you, okay? I got a long way to go. So the question for me and the question for you is how can we be free? when there is so much work left to do. We'll be in Galatians 3. Let's pray. Our Father, you are gracious. You are gracious. You love us so much that you sent your Son to bear the curse that we deserve and to free us from it, redeeming us from the penalty and the power of sin. Now, Lord, you've enabled us to grow into completion and perfection. Lord, I pray that every word that comes from my mouth shows the one who made it all possible, Jesus. All glory and honor to him. In his name I pray, amen. Galatians 3, verses 1 through 14. Let's read them together. Oh, foolish Galatians, you see? He's salty. Some translations say idiots. Oh, idiots. Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. 
Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law, and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith, rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised Spirit through faith how can we be free when we're so far from completion that's the question we're here weighed down with all our junk all our stuff our brokenness our incompleteness we're called to be over here right now living in the abundant life how do we bridge that gap how can we be free now this passage shows us by pretty clearly revealing who God is and what he has done to secure that freedom God is a gracious savior And he freed his people from the penalty and power of sin's curse. His work enables them, the church, to grow into completion and perfection. He's done every single thing necessary for you to experience true freedom right now. The answer to true freedom is found through the continued faith in Christ's finished work at the cross. But here's our problem. Our problem is that we tend to turn inward. A life turned inward is a life held back. God wants to give you a turnaround. He wants to give you a turnaround. He wants you to be completely free now. And so Paul turns us around with a call right back to the freedom of the gospel. To be free. To be free, you need to go back to the start. You need to walk on the way forward. And you need to fix your eyes on the destination. To be free, you need to go back to the start, walk on the way forward, and fix your eyes on the destination. First point, Go back to the start. In verses 1 through 5, Paul shows us that faith in Christ is both the starting point and the way forward. He calls the Galatian church right back to their initial experience. How would you start, he asks. He tells them, by faith. Paul, you see, he had preached to the church at Galatia previously, and his message was simple. Jesus Christ crucified By the time he was done preaching to them, the Galatians felt like they had seen the crucifixion with their very eyes through the gospel. In verse 1, Paul's telling us that you can see Jesus on the cross. Here's where a little background can help us out. We've been talking about these people, the Judaizers, for several weeks now. There were some false teachers, and they had infiltrated the church to preach a false message of faith plus works. And they were robbing freedom from the church teaching that you must complete yourself by observing the law. You must finish what Jesus started. You must add your works to his work. Paul shoots that down in verse 2, contrasting law and faith with a rhetorical question. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? If the Spirit comes by working the law, then there's something you got to do to get it. you got to do something to get it if the Spirit comes by working the law. The law, under the law, the blessing of the Holy Spirit would be a reward for your achievement. But that's not what Paul says here. The gift of the Holy Spirit comes by faith alone. 
The Galatians had believed when they heard with faith. The Spirit's work is not a reward on someone's spiritual achievement. It's a gift freely given to those who believe in Christ's achievement. Faith alone in Christ alone is how you start. Faith is also the way forward. Verse 3, are you so foolish, he asks. Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? If you've got an open Bible, circle two words, perfected, perfected, and flesh. Perfected means completion. The Galatians were striving for completion. Flesh tells us how. It means effort. They were striving to complete themselves by their own effort, and that was what, that is what was holding them back. That's the big problem here. This is important. Hearing with faith hearing with faith. Believing the gospel is much more than intellectual assent to historical fact. It's also to stop seeking completion through your own efforts. In verse 5, Paul moves into the present tense. You are, he says, that he says right now that the works of the Spirit, even miracles, they're happening because you are hearing with faith, not because you heard. He's saying that the Holy Spirit works through Christians as they stop relying on their own works and instead continuously rest in Christ alone for their completion. Believing the gospel is how we start and it's how we go forward in the Christian life. But the Galatians were failing to believe it. They were failing to believe it. They had turned inward to complete themselves. A life turned inward is a life held back. Babe Ruth was known as the Sultan of Swat in his playing days. Nowadays, he's known as the King of the Autograph. A signed Babe Ruth baseball is one of the most highly sought-after artifacts in all of sports memorabilia. It's incredibly valuable. A good one can fetch northward of $10,000 in many cases. So let's just pretend for a second that you got one. You got that valuable Babe Ruth baseball. Now, he played back in the 20s and 30s, so it's quite likely that your artifact is about 50 or 70 years old. Somewhere in there. My math might be bad. But it's old, and maybe the ink is starting to wear out a little bit. Okay, now let's just say, because you see the, the ink worn out, you take out your Sharpie and you're going to trace over his name. What do you think would happen to the value of that baseball? Would plummet, right? You can't add to the value of a Babe Ruth baseball by retracing over his name. But that is what it's like to add to Jesus's work. Same deal. We can't add to the value of Jesus's work with our work. Can't do it. No way. No how. Believing the gospel is ceasing all effort to complete yourself, but we do this. So let me ask you, where are you trying to complete yourself? Paul says, go back to the start. So think back with me to the time when you, uh, when you initially received the blessing of the Holy Spirit. Matthew 5, 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You had a need. You were spiritually impoverished. You had a need, and you were aware of that need. 2 Corinthians 12, 9, But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect or complete in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. You had a need, you were aware of it, and Jesus was enough for you. He was enough. So what's holding you back? What's preventing you from being free? Is Jesus enough for you today? Maybe you struggle with anger. Instead of wishing for God to remove it, or it, you know, perhaps worse, maybe doubling down on your own willpower to control your emotions, ask. 
Ask, if I'm angry, what is it that I need so much to complete me? Maybe it's comfort that you want. Someone or something has made your life a little bit more difficult right now, and you're mad at them. The answer is not just trying harder to control yourself. It's truly to repent of the self-righteousness and the lack of rejoicing in the finished work of Jesus. The more we preach the gospel to ourselves and see Jesus on the cross, the more the root of the anger will wither up and die over time. That's why it's essential that we preach the gospel to ourselves every day. We simply never outgrow the gospel. Believing the gospel is the starting point to freedom. It's also the way forward in freedom. To be free, you need to go back to the start, and you need to walk on the way forward. Second point, walk on the way forward. Verses 6 through 9 teach us that true and lasting freedom don't depend on our performance, but instead trusting in God's promise. Freedom doesn't depend on our performance. Remember, Paul is countering the false claims of the Judaizers who taught that you have to live like Jews to stay acceptable to God. So Paul says, look at Abraham, the father of the Jews. Genius. Verse 6, just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness, Paul is quoting directly from Genesis 15, 6, where God made a covenant with Abram, Abraham to bless him with a son and a family that would last forever. Now, that was very hard to believe. It was extremely hard for Abraham to believe that promise. You see, Abraham was childless, pushing 100 years, and his wife Sarah was barren. Abraham couldn't have children, but God promised that his offspring would be as innumerable as the stars. You see, looking inward, Abraham could only see the impossibility of his own flaws. Childless, too old, barren wife. Looking inward would have held Abraham back from faith. He would have only seen what was impossible. So Genesis 15, 5, God takes Abraham outside and outside of himself and says, look, look up, look at the stars, Abraham. Looking up, Abraham could no longer see his own limits, but he saw the limitlessness of his great God. If, if God could make all the stars in the sky, he could surely give Abraham a child. Abraham believed God Trusting in what God actually said. Believing in God's promise is the essence of Father Abraham's faith. Now, let's look at this covenant. Let's look at this covenant and let's compare Abraham's performance in it with God's performance. Okay, there was a little ceremony here. There's a little ceremony involved with this covenant making. There, you, Abraham took some animals. He cut them up in half. And he laid the halves opposite one another, leaving a little path in the middle. Okay, now to sign a covenant in those days, you would, the, the two parties to the covenant would walk between the halves. They would pass between the halves. So you'd have one party here and one party here, and they'd pass between. As they passed between, they would look at the, the carcasses, and they would say, if I break my word here, if I break my word, I deserve to be cut up and cut off just like these animals. And changing sides, changing sides is, was another way of saying we have a meeting of the minds. I stand where you stand. We are one. Now, the amazing thing about this Genesis 15 covenant is that Abraham never walked through the halves of those animals. Never did it. Never did it. Verse 12 says that he fell into a very deep sleep. God was the only one to pass through the animals. So God's promise of a son to Abraham in no way relied on Abraham's performance. He was sound asleep. The covenant was entirely performed by God. 
Abraham didn't do a thing, and God would die. God would die before he broke his word to Abraham. Abraham took God at his word. The result of Abraham's faith was that it was counted to him as righteousness. Now, that doesn't mean that he was actually righteous. It just means that he was treated as if he were righteous. God treated Abraham as righteous, and Abraham did not perform at all. Freedom also, it depends on your trust in God's promise. Verse 8, Paul proves that justification by faith alone has always been God's plan for all people for all times. The scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. Paul is quoting again directly from Genesis, this time Genesis 12, verse 3, where God revealed his plan to Abraham to bless the nations. You see, God's promised provision through Abraham leads us right to Jesus, the seed, the offspring, the Savior of the world. By quoting scripture like this, Paul's teaching us something very important about the gospel. He's saying that what the Bible says and what God says are the same thing. That's why he says the scripture preached. The Bible is God's word. Scripture is alive. Abraham took God at his word. The good news of the Old Testament is the good news about Jesus. All of Abraham's children believe in the same gospel and in the same promise. Have y'all been watching the Olympics? Please tell me that you have been. Come on. I love the Olympics, man. We love the Olympics at my house. Matter of fact, we had a small group party where we celebrated. We watched the opening ceremonies together. And I'm pretty sure that the channel on my TV has not changed in the past two weeks. We've been following all the storylines. And one of my favorite stories in the the Olympics this year is the story of, they're, they're calling her the mediocre skier. The mediocre skier skiing underneath the Hungarian flag. Have y'all seen that? We, we got it right here if you haven't. You got to see this. Here she goes. She drops into the half pipe. Nope. Not much special there. She's maybe building some speed up. Still waiting on it. Still waiting on it. Mm, kind of leaving me wanting. Give me some more. Still nothing. Still nothing. Come on. Here it comes. Here it comes. Now there's some style. There's some style. One more. Nope. And the big finish. She skis backward down the hill. (laughs) Now, truthfully, I don't know how good of a skier she is. She could be incredible. I don't know. She could be the best skier there. But what I do know is what she showed. And if you might agree with me on this, it was probably a little bit less than an Olympic quality performance, right? Right? Now, I've been skiing one time in my life, and I can ski down a hill, I can tell you that. I might could have pulled that off. I might could have. But the difference between me and her, she's an Olympian. Nobody ever, nobody can ever take that away from her. Can't do it. She's an Olympian. She's no less an Olympian than Lindsey Vaughn and Sean White. She is an Olympian. She has a status that in no way depends on her performance. Do you believe God or do you believe in God? There's a big difference, big difference. Believing in in God is not saving faith. James 2.19, even the demons believe and shudder. Believing God, though, is taking him at his word. So do you trust him? Do you trust him when he says, you are my beloved, treasured, child, totally complete, forever approved? Do you trust him? 
or are you trying to prove yourself through your own performance? In Christ, you are more than Olympian. You got more than a gold medal. You're treated as if you have a crown of righteousness, righteousness today. Paul proves that it's actually possible to be loved and accepted to God while still being sinful and incomplete. And so righteousness isn't attained. It's not attained because you worked hard to get right. Rather, you receive freedom while you're still a sinner. So when you hear those lies of disapproval, and I know they come, I hear them too, reflect back, consider the example of Father Abraham. He believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. His belief in God's promised provision secured his freedom forever. It didn't depend on Abraham's performance. He took God at his word. And that brings us to the final point. To be free, you need to go back to the start, you need to walk on the way forward, and you need to fix your eyes on the destination. Fix your eyes on the destination. In verses 10 through 14, we learn that the cross is the sign of freedom paid in full. When we look outside of ourselves and to Christ's finished work, only then can we be free. Paul goes back to the Old Testament law to point us forward. Verse 10, Paul hits us hard with the curse of the law. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. God's standard is perfection. That's a bar far, far beyond reach. And if you've ever had a bad day, that is bad news. Paul quotes Deuteronomy 27, 26, saying, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. James 2.10 says it this way, Whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become accountable for all of it. That's really bad news. We are all lawbreakers. That's a theme preached consistently from Old Testament to New Testament. Isaiah 53.6, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. Romans 3.10, None is righteous. No, not one. We've all turned inward, looking to save ourselves through our own ways. We deserve the penalty. We deserve the curse. That is Paul's point here. That's his point. Everyone who depends on the law is under a curse because the law curses those who break it. But God did not give us the law to make us good. So if the law can't bless us, how can we be free? Paul moves toward the answer in verse 11. He quotes Habakkuk 2.4. We had a sermon series on that back in the fall. He says, the righteous shall live by faith. Now the context of that verse is that the prophet Habakkuk is contrasting the faithful with the self-trusting Babylonians. And if you know the story, the Babylonians, they trusted themselves and they got it in the end. Verse 12, Paul says, the law is not of faith. And he quotes Leviticus 18.5, the one who does them shall live by them. He's saying that the law isn't for believers, it's for doers. But the problem is, we can't do it. And so we come to the penalty. The cross is the sign of freedom paid in full. Verse 13, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. The penalty for failing the law is God's wrath. It's God's curse. To be saved, to be free, the curse has got to be removed. The word redeemed refers to the payment of a price. This was most often used in Paul's day in the slave market where a price was paid for a real human being and that price, free, that price freed that person. And here, Jesus is the ransom price for freedom. Matthew 20, 28. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. 1 Peter 1, 18, 19. 
knowing that you were once ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. To pay this ransom price, Jesus had to endure God's curse. To hang on the tree was the ultimate sign of the curse. You see, when someone was executed in the Old Testament, it was usually by stoning, and then the body was hoisted up on a tree as a sign of divine rejection. So the guilty party was actually hung up as a sign of his curse, and this is huge for us. This is huge for us. Jesus was executed on a cross, a tree, a sign to show that he experienced the curse of divine rejection, and it's there on the cross that he freed us, or as Paul says, redeemed us from the curse of the law by taking the curse for us. Think about it. Think about it. At the heart of the message, at the heart of the gospel message of salvation, lies a man hanging on a tree, a man so cursed by God that he was crucified. The early church, the apostles, actually went out of their way to to declare the cross as a tree because they wanted to emphasize what Jesus actually did. Acts 5.30, the God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. 1 Peter 2.24 He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. The word for means on behalf of or in place of. Jesus' death was a substitution. Jesus was crucified in our place. Paul says it this way, 2 Corinthians 5.21, God made him to be sin who knew no sin. When Jesus took our sins upon himself, he bore God's curse by becoming a curse for us. The penalty we deserved was transferred to Jesus. To be free, we got to look outside of ourselves and to Christ's finished work. My son, he's three, almost four, and he got into the window business this week. You got a picture of his work. Business, not real good. If you can't see that, there's a gaping hole in the top of a window there, and the rest of the glass is completely fractured. Matter of fact, one of the storm winds this week blew it all down. Business is not good for my little boy. Now, he had picked up a rock on the playground, set his sight on that window, and he let her fly. The rest is history. Crushed the window. So my wife, she calls me up, tells me what happened. Says, Nick, he's been crying for an hour. And here's why I think he was crying. You see, in our house, we want him to appreciate that his actions have impact. They have consequences. So we tell him, we kind of, it's an age-appropriate thing. This is how we say it. Coy, if you do, if you do bad things, bad things happen. That's not karma. We want him to appreciate the consequence, right? So when I got home, I got home to talk to him about part of the consequence. I went into his room, and I took his little piggy bank with him. I held it up. I said, Coy. You're going to have to pay for that window. It's okay. We, we wound it up. He stopped crying. The next day, I walk into the principal's office with him. Actually, I made him walk in front of me. He's clutching his piggy bank. And he goes to the principal, and he holds it up as he drops his head in shame. And he said, this is for my debt. We taught him what debt was. It is something that you pay for something that you owe. The principal looked at his little piggy bank, and she said, oh, coy. That is not enough money to pay for that window. (laughs) 
Now, I had not prepared Coy for that part. <laughs> and he panicked. He panicked. He looked up at me, and I could read his eyes very well. He said, Dad, jump in. Help. Help me out. I can't do anything. I don't know what to do. Somebody's got to pay for this, Dad. Help me. So I told him. I said, Son, it's okay. Somebody's going to pay for that for you. Somebody's going to pay your debt. It's an insurance company, but he didn't have to know that, okay? <laughs> and then the teacher and I, we got down on our knees and we squared eyes with little coy boy. And we told him about the performance of another. We told him about grace, that Jesus forgives our debts and when we trust him. And she gave him his piggy bank back. Coy was no longer held back by the shame of his own guilt. And that is what it's all about. That is true freedom. So are you free? Are you free or are you relying on your own works to set you free? This is really hard. Let me tell you, this is really hard for the perfectionist, for the task-oriented person. It's incredibly hard for that person. Incredibly difficult. What about the person who has that, I call it the reformer's eye, the person who can look around and see a lot of things that are broken and need fixing. Hard for that person too. Because you can look around. Like, man, everything needs fixing. How can we be free when there's so much work left to be done? When Jesus hung on the cross, God the Son was cursed by God the Father. And so we feel the weight of Christ's dying words in Matthew 27, 26. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? His rejection secures your acceptance. By removing our curse, we are no longer subject to the death penalty of the law. So we can receive the promise of the gospel, which Paul declares in verse 14, that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. That blessing to Abraham ensures a right standing with God. Freedom could never come by works of the law. It comes only in Jesus we don't begin by trusting in Christ's work to bear our curse and then continue by our effort as if we could somehow earn an ongoing blessing. The cross is the sign of freedom and it's paid in full. God's message is something for you to see. In Jesus, the word who became flesh, God showed his message to the world. Jesus is God's message demonstrated. Through faith in him, you are free now. So what do we do? What is left for us to do? We're to hear the word and we're to do it. Doing God's word is how you demonstrate his message to the world. As we demonstrate the gospel to people, his message comes alive for all to see. To be free. To be free. Continue to look Jesus hanging on the cross. He's the Savior and his work is finished. So you can stop adding to it.